0: The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by award-winning author and US Navy diver and submariner William Craig Reed. He has participated in Cold War missions and is a geopolitical and military expert. His website is w.craigreed.com. We'll be discussing his new book, Spies of the Deep: The Untold Truth about the most Terrifying Incident in submarine naval history and how Putin used the tragedy to ignite a new Cold War, as well as his take on the dynamics of the new Cold War between the. US, Russia and China, including the Putin presidency, uh, which has an important um, there's an the, uh, important constitutional amendment coming up in July. Uh, the Trump Russiagate allegations, the Arctic and the struggle for global natural resources, and the South China Sea, uh, among many other topics. Thank you for coming on Geopolitics and Empire, Mr. Reed. Good to be here. Thanks. Now, uh, before we get into the different aspects of the new Cold War between the U.S. Eagle and the Eurasian dragon bear Russia and China, as some call it. Why don't we start with having a quick look uh, at your new book that's about to be published uh, in July in a few weeks called Spies of the Deep. Uh, I've been able to go through an advanced copy of the book. It begins with the sinking of the Russian Kursk submarine in August of 2000, I believe, which according to both Russian and NATO officials was deemed um, an accident. But you say that there's another story there, that there was a a sort of a cover-up which could have otherwise led to a real military conflict uh, around the turn of the century. So if you want, you can tell us a little bit about Spies of the Deep. What was that all about and why was it such an earth shattering event?
1: Absolutely. We have to go back to the Cold War when I served as a submariner. And one of the submarines that I was on, we actually ran into a Russian submarine deep inside their harbor. We were conducting an espionage mission. They chased us for three days, torpedoes and depth charges, and we almost did not come back. So when the, the curse went down in August of 2000, all of that came back up again. I recalled it, and it was pretty hard hitting because even though we'd been enemies years earlier, I felt an affinity for those submariners. But when the news started to come out and they were talking about what had happened, both the Russians and the U.S., I knew that it was not the truth. I knew there was a cover-up. I knew we were being lied to. I could tell because I had been there, and I also knew some of the submariners aboard the Memphis and Toledo, who I knew were very close to the courts at the time this happened. took me 20 years to uncover the truth, but I finally did in Spies of the Deep.
0: And so there are, like, a number of different stories. Uh, You know, after reading your book, I went to search online. I found an article from The Guardian in 2001 um, confirming some of the things you say, where there's different theories. You know, the Russian military uh, have different theories. And even amongst the Russian government, there are different uh, perspectives. Uh, So if you want to tell us, like, a a little bit more of why was it so important. And you uh, you were also mentioning in the book that there were... Uh, possible deals made between Putin and, and Bill Clinton or, or certain kinds of understandings. So whatever you want to tell us uh, about that.
1: Absolutely. Well, in August of 99, so this was a year before this incident, Putin was running for president and he only had 2% of the vote. So this course submarine went on a top secret mission and got very close to an aircraft carrier we've heard in the news recently, the Theodore Roosevelt. That's the one hit by COVID. They got a firing solution, and we could not find that sub. So they came back to fanfare. Putin met with the captain of that sub. He later went down to the pier, had a formal naval ceremony. Putin's father was a submariner. So Putin became an honorary submariner. But he used this mission success to campaign and to say he was going to rebuild the Russian Navy see how, what we can do if we have adequate submarine capability. He propelled himself to 53% of the vote in March of 2000. That same month, he threw one of our spies into jail who was trying to find information on a new rocket torpedo. That's what really happened. So our submarines had to go very close to the curse now because we didn't get that spy information. And that led to this accident in August of 2000, uh, that could have been very devastating for both countries, because it escalated.
0: Yeah, I think the name of that spy found a mistake in Alexander uh, Pope, um, who was, I believe, later uh, released uh, by Putin. but. Do you think at that moment that, how, how close were we to a real military conflict? Like, could, could we have, because the, well, the Russian military, they were just re- recovering from the nineties and they, they didn't really seem to be so strong. Uh, do you think they would have made a like a final decision to initiate a conflict?
1: Quite possibly. We know that, as you mentioned, Pope was thrown in jail. He was trying to get the plans on the small rocket torpedo, it's called, failed, obviously. So one of our submarines, the Toledo, what I found in interviewing submariners on that submarine, as well as others uh, involved in this, may have come a bit close. And it's possible that it caused the torpedo to get lodged in the tube and it blew up. Well, there was evidence, they say, recovered later by the Russian Navy and so on, the rescue teams. And this escalated uh, up. And many on Putin's staff were clamoring for retaliation, up to and including perhaps even nuclear conflict. So Putin later met with Bill Clinton in New York about a month after this incident, and they negotiated a deal. At least that's what I'm hearing from a number of different contacts. Uh, I spoke directly with um, Clinton's Russian advisor. He was interviewed for the book and many others and we barely avoided perhaps a conflict uh, because those two negotiated our way out of it
0: now uh, a large portion of the book deals in detail with that entire uh, submarine incident in august of of 2000 and it's been a long time since i've read books like that and i'm not very familiar with all this um naval language and 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 technicalities so for me it was interesting it was like reading a tom clancy uh novel so for people who are interested in that they can Read that and really get into the details of of what happened at that that time in 2000. But then uh, throughout the book, uh, as well as some of your previous books, you you cover a lot of the similar themes of of the bigger picture of what's happening with Russia, uh, the Arctic um, uh, and China. And I thought there was something interesting you mentioned in passing in your book that uh, that's the 1999 Moscow apartment, apartment bombings in which you suggest that it was. I guess, for lack of a better term, a type of a false flag uh, operation carried out by the Russian state. Uh, The broader context you're getting at, I think, is that the weakened Russian state needed an external enemy to help revive faith in its political system, which I guess would revive its military and economy. You know, I personally believe that many countries have carried out false flag operations going all the way back to uh, Roman history. But in this particular case, we're discussing Russia. In fact, I've tried unsuccessfully to get on the podcast two of the more prominent Western experts on the Moscow bombing incident. So could you comment on the Moscow bombing um, as well as this key make or break moment where Putin found himself in 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 1999 and 2000, where he had to deal with corrupt oligarchs, the Russian uh, military interests, the Barents Sea naval exercise as he was trying to kind of revive and rebuild uh, Russia?
1: absolutely well at that time russia was the equivalent of a third world country in terms of its economic capability and there were uh some huge debts if you will that came over from soviet russia so russia inherited the soviet russian debt and it was quite huge and they were borrowing money from a number of different countries and not able to pay it back. And so there were political movements to try and figure out a way to rebuild Russia, get their GDP back up. And Putin saw a number of ways to do this. One, as you mentioned, po- quite possibly these false flag incidents to create this external enemy to, to try to build uh, upon the fear, if you will, that uh, we could be attacked, and so we we need to begin putting money back into certain areas to build, rebuild the defense. Will which, as we have seen in a lot of countries, rebuild the might. We've gone to war many times in the U.S., and uh, that has increased our gross domestic product. So that's what a lot of experts believe happened: is that. A lot, there are a lot of clues that, that show that this was something that was instigated by Russia to do this. So the, when the Kursk demise came along, Putin saw this as yet another possibility to, again, rebuild Russia's military might. But he needed to find a way to get some sort of income to do that. So he, he used the cursed incident to wrest control from the oligarchs, a couple in particular, one that owned Kronos and basically take the energy firms out of private hands and put them into Russia's hands. He lined his own personal pocket to the tune of billions, but now Russia had a way to use energy and um, that those companies to rebuild their gross domestic product quite uh, strongly, in fact, over the next several years, cut a lot of gas deals Today, Russia provides Europe with a third of its natural gas. So obviously this plan worked, uh, but again, very smart on the part of Putin to do that.
0: And since we're on the topic of Putin, I thought I'd get your comments. Um, he recently revealed, I think just yesterday in the press, that he may seek uh, another term if the July 1st, uh, 2020, constitutional changes pass uh, it seems we have other world leaders digging in their heels for the long run, which includes China's Xi Jinping, um, who I think also has re- removed uh, term limits. So it's almost as if many are expecting some great global shifts, which may include military conflicts uh, in the near future, medium-term future. What's your take on President Putin uh, and these uh, July 1st constitutional changes, which may keep in, may allow him to stay in power until 2036?
1: Well, again, Putin came from uh, a, a very meager background. As I mentioned, his father was a submariner. He did not grow up with the proverbial silver spoon. He and his family worked hard. So he understands the Russian people and their mentality and is very protective of his Russian people, his family, if you will. Uh, His KGB experience also makes him somewhat ruthless in many ways, but also a very shrewd uh, chess player. Uh, He's not necessarily a a chess player um, in terms of the actual game, but he is a chess player politically. He really knows how to move these pieces around on the board, and this is one. This July 1st vote will allow him to extend his presidential rule, if you will, his quasi-dictatorship, probably until he's too old to serve anymore. Uh, so he will probably be around as the leader of Russia for many years. And we're seeing this with other countries, as you mentioned, China. And uh, who knows what's going on in North Korea? A lot of experts believe uh, Jong-un is no longer with us. And Yo jung his sister, has taken control that could unseat a lot of uh, the balance of power in in the entire East.
0: And, and so an, another issue that you cover in the book, as well as your, as your previous previous book, which I purchased uh, and have been reading, I think it's called Cold War Three, uh, is the Arctic. Um, in the last few years and months, uh, there's been a lot of action concerning the Arctic. Uh, listeners can refer to our past podcast with expert Klaus Dodds. But lately, it seems a variety of actors, uh, which include Turkey and China, are vying for positions in the Arctic. President Trump is moving in on Greenland. Uh, And of course, we have the push for Arctic resource extraction from the US, Russia, China, and Norway, among others. So uh, what do you see as important in the Arctic?
1: Well, many years ago, a close friend of Putin actually He and his partner took two of their mere mini subs down to 14,000 feet and planted a flag right near the North Pole and said, this is ours. Uh, Very much angered the international community. And it's because there's literally trillions of dollars worth of minerals and oil and gas deposits there that were not accessible until the ice melt. Now, a lot of people argue that about whether the ice is melting, that, that argument's over, you can go look for yourself as to why who cares what is really important is that putin sees this as a treasure trove and he has strong-armed the un to take control of the sea of Okhotsk, an area they call the peanut hole they own it now trillion tons of gas there now near the north pole with this submarine called the Losharik. remember that one that uh, blew up and uh, had a fire Uh, that was a top secret submarine to gather evidence that they own this area and now we're in a fight for the entire arctic because of the resources there again they're feeding europe with a third of their natural gas their reserves are going to run thin so putin needs to find new resources this is one china we're in a battle in the south china sea again we've got trillions of dollars worth of energy there and so forth and this is continuing to ramp we're seeing other countries as you mentioned getting into the game Uh, we're in, we're poised for a big battle. Unfortunately, the U S is bringing a knife to a gunfight.
0: Yeah. That was my next question. You've, you've, um, in some of your, I guess in your books and even some of your previous interviews, you've mentioned, uh, Costco. So you've mentioned that one day Americans may see empty shelves or higher prices at Costco, you know, Walmart, whatever. Uh, we're seeing this now due to the pandemic. But your books specifically refer to, you know, Russian and perhaps Chinese control of trade and energy routes. What uh, if we go a bit further into the future, what can what effect can the control of the Arctic uh, sea lanes, Arctic pathways and resources by these foreign powers have on the U.S. supply chains and the U.S. uh, economy?
1: Could be quite devastating to the U.S. and EU economies. And here's why. We now know that again, because of the ice melt, we went from maybe a dozen ships traversing what's called the Northern Sea Route. That runs all the way from Europe past Russia and then down past Alaska. This shaves 40% off the time and expense of other routes like Panama Canal or Rouge Strait, Sea of Malacca um, and so on. And so these are uh, now, Thousands of ships going through this route bringing oil and gas and so on. 90%, as I mentioned, of what we buy at Costco, Walmart, whatever, comes to us via these sea routes. And so, if there's a choke point that happens with these sea routes, it can cause shortages. Uh, If you thought it was hard to get toilet paper before, it'll become really difficult to get all kinds of things. Putin understands this. So, he's locked up this route. He's got Uh, at least a half a dozen, very fortified, as well as many other bases up there. He's got Arctic-hardened ships and submarines and so on. We have very little capability to patrol that area, let alone defend it. And other nations are starting to move in up there. South China Sea, that route, Chinese are taking control. Uh, Again, the horn moves straight uh, with Iran. We're in a battle there. So all these choke points are becoming very important I know it's difficult for people to say, why are we spending time and effort and money there? Well, if you like shopping at Costco, that's why. I,
0: I wanted to jump around to uh, a few other different topics, which you've commented on before, because it's, it's interesting to get your uh, expert take uh, on biological weapons. Uh, you know, uh, This podcast was the first to conduct an interview with U.S. bioweapons expert Dr. Francis Boyle back in January on the COVID-19 uh, being a bioweapon. That interview went viral and was subsequently censored uh, by YouTube, but it's still up on uh, Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. Uh, And we know that a number of countries are participating in this bioweapons arms race. So I thought, you know, I just want to get your take in general, um, considering the current atmosphere on bioweapons, uh, COVID-19 or, you know, um, Chinese or, or Russian bioweapons and so on.
1: Absolutely. Well, the Russians hid their bioweapons program from the world for two decades. They violated the 72 treaty and we didn't know about it. So it's easy to hide these things. And as you know, Francis Boyle discovered that there was a gain of function in the call it coronavirus. And really what that refers to is a DNA engineering Uh, that happened. We know now that it wasn't just bat DNA, that there was also most likely uh, pangolin intermediate DNA, uh, which, you know, it's extremely rare that that could happen naturally. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that most experts say is enough to convict. We know that the entire virological facility there, uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, went completely dark between august 7th and august 24th no cell phone no email activity this is a level four bioweapons facility we know this nothing causes it to go dark except for a very serious hazardous event most likely some sort of a leak three or four of the initial cases were not linked to the market they say it came from the bat they say it come from came from is 100 miles away Are Experts were concerned about their safety protocols two years earlier. You know, the list goes on and on that there's a very strong possibility that if it wasn't on purpose, um, which, you know, if it was, uh, they couldn't have planned a more brilliant way to wreak havoc on the US economy. But if not, uh, you know, heavy cover up. We know the Chinese were hoarding two and a half billion dollars worth of masks and ventilators and so on in January, they were getting these from countries that now are short. Uh, the list goes on. The cover up there was just unbelievable.
0: And continuing on the topic of, of China, you briefly get into that uh, towards the end of your book, but to look at some of the threats uh, posed by China. So, I mean, we, we just mentioned the, the bioweapons and then you know, the, the Arctic uh, energy trade routes. Um, So in your book, you also mentioned the South China Sea, the sand islands, these new submarines uh, that I guess can advance at hyper speeds, doomsday weapons, something you talk about called the assassin's mace strategy, which I've heard, heard about before. It's using asymmetric power and I guess more inexpensive techniques or weaponry that can take down expensive American technology. I believe it said that by 2030, China will possibly be on par or close to the U.S. in terms of firepower and and, uh, regarding the amount of tanks and aircraft and and naval vessels. So um, looking at China in terms of the military threat, what do you see there?
1: Absolutely. So China has come a long way. Just a decade ago, there was not that big of a concern about their Navy, certainly, or their weaponry, but now, as you mentioned, the assassin's mace, we're talking Mach 10, uh, and our capability might be able to, to take out Mach 5 uh, missiles coming at us, and so it's just an overwhelming amount of force that could take out an entire carrier strike group. But the big concern is that not only is there technology uh, now come up quite a bit, and by the way, a lot of the technology that we're seeing deployed by China, by Iran, by North Korea, these other countries, a lot of it came from reverse-engineered technology from this Shkval rocket torpedo that I mentioned that blew up the Kursk. Uh, Supercavitation technology for weapons and submarines that China's using right now came from that. That's uh, they bought literally dozens of these Shkval torpedoes from Russia, reverse-engineered them. So we're seeing that happen. But the big concern is that they now have the ability to electronically do some things they couldn't previously uh, to undermine our ability to find them hunt them down etc their submarines are far more stealthy than they used to be so on a par in many cases already Uh, by 2030 in most cases that will probably be um, an on par situation
0: and looking economically as well, you talk about in your previous book and uh, the current book the death of the dollar or, or petrodollar. I know this is something I've been talking about for years, uh, in, at my at university where I've taught um, in the last decade, analysts say that the dollar may spike uh, one more time and then perhaps even you know blow up and and die. Uh, Alternatives, you know, there's this process of de-dollarization you've mentioned in your book, where Russia and China are using their own currencies uh, between each other, uh, as well as with uh, Iran and other countries. So it's a growing trend. Uh, Some people like James Rickards put out these ideas that we might, the dollar might be replaced by IMF special drawing rights or SDRs, a basket of currencies, or you've talked about petrol ruble or petro-yuan, or perhaps this gold-backed digital crypto-petro-yuan. So what are your thoughts on the threats to the U.S. dollar world reserve and what it will mean for America?
1: Well, as you know, Nixon took us off the gold standard back in the early 70s, and it's been that way ever since. So he, he cut a deal essentially with the Saudis at that time that they would accept all energy trades in U.S. dollars. And in exchange, we would protect them. The OPEC countries went along with that. And that's been that way ever since. And that allows the U.S. to bolster its dollar, uh, but also to dictate a lot of foreign policies. We're kind of in control in that sense. And that can cause some economic harm to other countries. We can do sanctions and things of that nature. We can control the price of oil and gas in many cases up and down. We've seen that happen. Uh, That can cause Russia a lot of economic problems. So both Russia and China would prefer not to have that be the case. They've started to cut a lot of energy deals not that long ago, a $400 billion energy deal, not in US dollars. And we're seeing this happen more often. So if they have their way, they'll move the the world more away from the petrodollar to the petro-wan or ruble. And that could seriously cause a problem with the valuation of the US dollar If that goes down, our economy goes down, and if we thought it was bad with COVID, uh, it'll be a
0: lot worse if that's the case. And um, we have the 2020 U.S. elections coming up. Um, I believe you've commented previously about Russiagate and the allegations that Russia interfered in the 2016 U.S. elections. I personally don't believe that quite but you know that's okay I'm not here to argue with my guests I we have people from all different perspectives and uh, we want to hear your opinions and let listeners decide for themselves what can you tell us regarding uh, President Putin Trump uh, Russiagate the 2016 uh, allegations of interference as well as any older history or motives which may tie that together
1: Absolutely. Well, if you know what's going to happen to the stock market, or if you know what's going to happen to uh, world decisions, et cetera, at least to a certain extent in advance, you can make a lot better plans and you can begin to move your chess pieces more strategically. So if there is tampering, and you're right, may or may not be the case, uh, certainly seems like there may be some of that going on if not a tampering at least browsing into what might be the uh, possibility or tweaking things here or there you know again it's i think it's less about uh whether putin loves one candidate or another uh but he would prefer to be in a situation where he can at least have some predictability if you know what's going to happen in the future at least are reasonably sure uh, you can make decisions today uh, that will protect you from issues or will allow you to gain from what might happen in the same way you can play the stock market. I really think that's his motivation or any country's motivation in terms of wanting to at least influence uh, what might happen in the future.
0: There seems to be an eerie calm before a storm Uh, As we sit here halfway through 2020, uh, Israel is about to annex uh, Palestinian territory in a few days. There's the Russian constitutional uh, vote. The Saudi-Yemen war has kind of disappeared from the news cycle, but I guess that's still going on. Um, There's Syria, as you mentioned, South China Sea, North Korea, Taiwan, Venezuela, uh, the China-India border dispute. Uh, so, do you see, as well as the collapse of the of the economy, the global economy, as the IMF uh, and World Bank have said, it hasn't been this bad since 1870. Uh, that's 150 years. Do you see this new cold war um, going hot, or at the very least, us seeing in the near future serious regional uh, types or military conflicts?
1: Uh, well. <laughs> We, we've uh, always been concerned about the zombie apocalypse. And so <laughs> you you may be seeing this perfect storm happen now where it's going to be worse uh, than that. Not necessarily all over the, the entire globe, but they'll, there will be, and already are, we're starting to see this indication of hotspots. What is going to happen because we have things happening in our world, you know, call it global warming or global weirding or whatever we want to call it, things are changing uh, and we're seeing economies change, we're seeing a resource shortage, we're seeing issues happen right now with our ability to farm and to be able to, to even feed our own people here, so let alone in other countries. And so these resources, again, up in the Arctic is huge because there's, again, due to this warming, the ice melting, we're seeing a lot of pockets of fish and algae and so, so forth. So the ability to feed people, as well as the minerals we need for a lot of things that we want to produce, and of course, the oil and gas. So these pockets are going to become very important, and we may see skirmishes or wars or battles we sent warships up to the arctic to warn putin that he can't control the arctic well he already does so it's futile for us to do that plus like i said we sent knife to gunfight a couple of warships that aren't even arctic hardened against his armada that is uh, so a little thing like that could spark a conflict if not a full-out war
0: yeah, in your book, you as you detail the Arctic, that it's not a welcoming uh, environment um, for the U.S. military or, or any military troops uh, and, and submarines. So it, it takes a lot of resources and, and training um, to make sure you know what you're doing up there in the Arctic. Are there, are there any uh, things that you, I haven't asked that you think are important, any final thoughts regarding whether it's the, the, the Kursk or, or, or anything else?
1: Well, I think it's important to note that I mentioned the Arctic, I actually went up there and spent a week underneath the Arctic ice on a nuclear submarine and learned a lot about what's really going on up there geopolitically, militarily, etc. So that is a, a huge concern. But I also think it's time to start looking at learning from our history. And I think that's really what I tried to accomplish in Spies of the Deep. And a lot of people are heated about tearing down this monument or this part of history or whatever the case might be and certainly understandable in many cases, but I caution going too far in relation to destroying history rather than learning from it. Sometimes these things that are painful should remain right in, in our faces, not because they're right, but because they're wrong. It's there so that we can be reminded of how bad things were back then, reminded of what we don't want to go back to. So think of it maybe from that perspective in terms of history in general. How do we keep learning from history so we don't keep repeating these mistakes? Why are we at war with each other when we're at war with a virus? Who doesn't care who we are? Doesn't care what color we are, what country we come from, what religion we are, doesn't care. It's going to kill us equally, no matter what. So let's stop fighting with each other and start fighting this virus.
0: Uh, Myself, as a history uh, major, teacher, professor, I would have to agree with you there. We should keep the history around uh, to remind us uh, of the good uh, and the bad and and not to repeat some of the same uh, mistakes. Uh, What are the best websites for listeners to find your work on? I believe you have wcraigreed.com. And are there any other particular books or projects that you wish to mention? Yes. So
1: wcraigreed.com. Everything's there. And uh, another book coming out later this year called Status Six. You mentioned some of these new Russian weapons. Uh, this one talks about a new torpedo that, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's the scariest weapon I've ever seen. And it's a what if scenario that uh, AI takes over a Russian submarine and this status six torpedo system. Uh, if something like that actually happened, it could be the scariest thing we've ever seen in history.
0: I guess it would be like uh, Skynet becoming self-aware in and, and Terminator. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> All right, so Spies of the Deep comes out in, I think, about two weeks, July 14th. You can get it in Kindle and, and hard, uh, hard copy, as well as Status 6, I think you said, later in the year. I encourage listeners to check out William Craig Reed's books and website, wcraigreed.com, and his Twitter, I believe, at WCraigReed. Thank you for being on Geo- Geopolitics and Empire, Mr. Reed. Thanks. Great to be here. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.